right, folks, before we get into the main thing today, I want to let you know that this particular episode of the Oil & Gas Tech Podcast is made possible by our friends at Hexagon, especially the Asset Lifecycle Intelligence Division at Hexagon, where they are doing amazing things to modernize that part of the business that we usually call enterprise asset management. Now, the best way to learn more about this is you go to hexagonppm.com, hexagonppm.com. Click on the link or tap if you happen to be on your mobile device that says solutions, and you'll see Uh, you'll immediately see everything that they're about. Empowered engineer, connected worker, digital fabricator, confident startup, enterprise project. I mean, the list, it's a whole digital twins. It's all in there. Operational twins. Have a look at what Hexagon is doing in enterprise asset management. Hexagonppm.com. An industry under pressure. Innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. All right, folks, I am here with Suzanne Lemieux, and uh, I'm not really here with her uh, because uh, you're in Washington, D.C., and I'm in Houston, and uh, so we're in the remote configuration, and uh, I always believe in uh, full transparency, so uh, the fact of the matter is that we're, this, is, this is take two for us, because some guy who was supposed to push the record button didn't, um, uh, didn't do it, and we just started talking, so... Um, so, so, so to all of our faithful listeners, if Suzanne sounds like she's frustrated because she has to say the same thing again, <laughs> it's all my fault. <laughs> so, uh, and, and it was good. You were on a roll. So we'll see if we can, the, the point is you're from API and, uh, and I haven't had somebody on the show for quite a while. It's been a long time since I had somebody from API. So, so I'm interested to hear not only about what you're doing, but what's, what's hot at API in general. Um, and uh, before we get to that, a little bit about you. And uh, we're going to do it. Th- we'll, we'll do it different this time. I'm going to change it up so you don't have to do it the same way. Um, start with start with the second part, which is kind of how you got to where you are and, and your background. Because that was because because you're not just a public policy person. You have actual technical skills. So start uh, start start there. And, uh, and 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 you can go as fast as you want. Okay, yeah, well, uh, you know, my first career was in working for an internet service provider doing technical support. It was UUNet, an MCI WorldCom company, and then it was WorldCom, and then it was MCI, and then it was MCI WorldCom, and then it was Verizon Business. <laughs> All of those, so, right, yes. It, we, it, yeah, it was hard, hard to keep to up. It, your resume. <laughs> yeah, back in those days. <laughs> That's right. Acquired by acquired by. It was tough to keep up back then, though, because you know all those all those ISPs popped up because there was a whole new commercial market, and then they all got they all got gobbled up by big companies. So I can only imagine. And you mentioned that you were actually doing tech support during the middle of all that, right? So what yeah. was that like? Yeah. Yeah. So that was uh, when I first started. Our first, I was working in. You know, you kind of start at the bottom because it's all it's all proprietary software and systems that they use within that company. Um, so you didn't you didn't really have to know anything before you started. You just you had you had to learn on the job. And the first the client the biggest client they had just signed, and I always think back on this with kind of humor was the Red Cross Auxiliary, which okay. tends to be an older demographic. Let's just yeah. say that. And it was yeah. Some people say that about API. Just so you know, I, I you know it's not. <laughs> 
<laughs> but, but yes, Red Cross, Red Cross Exhilarate. Yes. So the trying to, to, to teach people over the phone how to, how to use dial-up was a, a, a lesson in patience, I'll just say that. <laughs> but over the time there, I was there for six and a half years, you know, I, I, I rose up within the, the tech support part of the organization, you know, had managed service clients, did, um, did higher level circuits and, and more technical work within within that th those groups um, so it was interesting you know and um, I was lucky I took off um, I took the opportunity that they had for tuition reimbursement mm -hmm. and I ended up Good. graduating with a master's in public and international affairs a month after I was laid off so, <laughs> okay. uh, and, and that, well, you know, that, that was good for finals. It was easy to study for finals that way because you didn't it really help me finish my major paper. I can't lie about yeah. that. <laughs> but that's when I transitioned in, into the energy sector. I, I found a job at the Department of Energy as a contractor and, and stayed there for about five and a half years. I worked in the solar program for a little bit and then I did critical infrastructure and emergency response, critical infrastructure security and emergency response for. For my time there and then i came here and i've been doing a lot of that plus a lot of other things ever since yeah yeah okay so and now uh, as i understand it your job with api is um and you have a very long illustrious title uh that sounds very important but uh but you you go so they send you out to talk to people about things right you moderated a panel this morning for World Economic Forum, so that's, that's, uh, were you nervous about that? I, I think I, even as much as I've done this, I think if it were World Economic Forum, I might be nervous. You know, I thought I might be nervous, but I wasn't, I wasn't too nervous. It was a very relaxed group, and they have a specific effort on cybersecurity in the oil and gas sector, mm -hmm. so it's not the whole, you know, um, population of their members, but it is. So, you know, there were some friendly faces, and, and uh, it was an yeah. easy conversation to have. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah. And, and so now you got this going on. Anything after this? Do you have just a double header today? Do you have any other? Uh, this is my uh, trainer. Is this your trainer? Okay. <laughs> is this your trainer? All right. So, uh, the, in the world of API today, obviously, uh, I know you're focused on cyber. Um, and uh, what else? Uh, so the brain trust at API. What kind of things are you know? There's so much going on in the world right now, which impacts the oil and gas industry, energy in general. What's uh, what's got most of your attention there? Yeah. So I mean, we are the largest trade association representing the oil and gas industry um, in in North America, anyways. And so we do have a a pretty significant plethora of issues that we work. Um, I'm in corporate policy, so the other parts of this group are tax, trade, and climate. And so there's okay. a lot happening in the yeah. tax side because of the Infl Inflation Reduction Act. Um, on the trade side, there's a lot going on with you know the, the, the tariffs that Trump put in place is, and some of the, the international agreements are still kind of um, in process or, or maybe yeah. changing. So there's there's work to be done there, especially with the um, the um, I can't remember what her name is. Yes, that right one. Now, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then on the climate side, you know, we've been doing a lot with our members over the last couple of years to come to a position on where we are with climate. It's mm -hmm. obviously a fraught issue in the oil and gas industry. Um, yeah. Just over time, and and companies' perspectives, and and you know where they think these things are going so those are some of the big issues just within my group um you right, know there's right. 
always, you know, activity on the hill we're responding to, and um, as I'm the the potential of the freight rail um, walkout last week was pretty mm -hmm. concerning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, not just to us, but but to everyone who who wants clean drinking water or wants you know gla gasoline they can use, right, right, um, products, right. food, all that. So that that was we were working that pretty hard. Um, it sounds like uh, there's no lack of. Uh, I mean, things are busy over there at API. You got a lot. You have a lot going on, and so many of those things you mentioned are very intertwined, right? So it's not Absolutely. like you can each work in your own little silos because everybody has to be. Um, I'm glad we're going to talk about security, uh, cybersecurity today, though, because it's possible that I might be just a little bit tired of talking about climate. <laughs> it's, it's not, I don't work not, climate, so it's okay. Not that, it's, not that it isn't important, but. <laughs> But my goodness, so uh, we have to talk about something else once in a while. So the the and we were chatting earlier about how cybersecurity really uh, not not that in this industry we were sloppy about it before, um, but but we got but we really got focused on it in the last year or so as, ever since that well publicized uh, pipeline event. Um, but the interesting thing, uh, so maybe before we talk about what's happening right now. The, you know, we didn't, and I think you maybe mentioned this already. I can't remember if it was during take one or take two, but uh, like we didn't always have. Uh, it wasn't always such a challenge. It used to be simpler, right? So why is that? Um, automation, digitization, the interconnected, interconnected, you know, networks that we're in now. I mean, a lot of those things were done for efficiency, for process safety, maybe. sometimes. Um, you know, the, the better instrumented your systems are, the better you can understand what's happening and control what's happening. Yeah. Um, now, from a, and then from a market-driven perspective, when you're looking for those efficiencies of the market, I mean, we're not the only industry that's in a just-in-time scenario, and I think we're a little bit less than just-in-time because we do have storage. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, it's, it's the market pressures of doing more, doing it faster, delivering it faster, delivering it safely, um, and so again, a lot of those monitoring systems and those control systems, um, you know, people want to be able to do more remotely. That was before COVID where you could monitor something mm -hmm. abroad. Yeah. Obviously, if you're operating an offshore platform, there are people on that platform, but there are people in, you know, in Houston who can see what's happening on that platform sure. as well. So it's this level of interconnectedness um, that allows companies to be more efficient. And, and the, from an environmental perspective, that can be good as well. Yeah. The more you know what's happening sure. in your system, the better you control it. Because right, um, then we so can automate things like like controlling vapor pressure before it exactly. you, know, you get a leak and things like this, right? Um, yeah. What so um, so it's true, and and even and I when I think about this, I think not so much even about the in upstream with the platform, the offshore platforms. Although it does come into play, I guess to some degree in the in the in the shale plays and stuff. But but I really think about um, and I also sometimes. Uh, I think that upstream gets a lot of the, a lot of the glamour, historically anyway, when it comes to cool technology, right? Because we always invested a lot of money there. Um, but there's always been uh, when you when you look at um, uh, at or even produ production processing, midstream assets, whether it's you know like like compressor stations or or pipelines or and especially in refineries and chemical plants, all of those. Uh, 
all of those industrial, like we've always had a lot of technology out there. It's not like there wasn't computers out there before. It's not like, we, and, and, and some of the things that those, that those, uh, those companies have been innovating for a long time since before we, anybody started talking about digital transformation, but it was all separate, right? I mean, we intentionally kept everything disconnected and, and I, I got to feel Do you ever run into somebody like any of the, uh, any of the old timers from that world who say, this is why we didn't want to do it. This is why we used to keep it separate. This is, I told you this was a bad idea, right? This ITOT convergence thing. Are there, are there people out there kind of like still going, yeah, we should have never done this. I think, yeah, I think that population is lessening because there's some inevitability to it. Because they're retiring, um, are, most of them, yeah. <laughs> so they, and there are not. ways you can do it safely. Um, it's oftentimes, I think, when we talk to members and we talk and, you know, go to conferences and hear, it's an unintended um, consequence of doing something else where you don't realize that now that one password or that one account has crossed over or you've interconnected things in a way where you're not trying to be on your OT system, but you're on something that's on your OT system tangentially and can that be a hop? And I think it's, it's certainly not by design sometimes and it's mm -hmm. it's this increasingly complex world of technology that's in use is we were talking about this on the on the the world economic call uh, forum call this morning is you know that asset management that data management how are you doing all that in an effective way that yeah. you know everything that's out there and how it connects to each other and that cyber architecture that can be very complicated in these really complicated <laughs> operations so yeah. if you're sure you know, if you're, and especially M and A has has complicated a lot of that. Yeah. You know, you don't. How do you know you have a full accounting of everything that has been or is on that new system that you're integrating into your other systems? Or you know, what are the legacy technologies? Are those documented? Do you know how to how to fully utilize them and protect them? I think that is a, is a challenge when you take equipment that's built for thirty years, right? And you add right. on technology to it to make it more efficient, to make it more you know, readable to have the results that you need from that equipment um, because you're not going to replace that no, if it's 15 not. years in your 30-year lifetime. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, that, I mean, so there are some, I know some folks out there in places like like Rockwell and and, uh, and maybe Sensi and some others where they are trying to create some kind of, Technology, architecture, roadmap, strategy, whatever you call it, to say how do we modernize the process control systems so that they're more compatible uh, and they better support, I guess would be a better way to say, better support the new stuff that we're bringing out there because we want to have all these analytics and we want to have all this remote operation and things like this. Um, but it's a, it, like that's not for the faint of heart to go out there, right, and do that. I mean, that's tough. I yeah, mean, and, I mean, we are planning our cyber our our seventeenth annual cybersecurity conference. I'll put in a little plug for it now um, in November. Seventeenth in, in annual cybersecurity conference. Yeah, yeah. So this is not so a that, new subject for API. <laughs> that, right, um, right. But we have, you know, we have um, ICS security tracks. We have cyber architecture. We have, you know, cyber risk management, etc. Emerging technologies. So we are. You know, as an industry trying to really um, talk a lot about what these challenges are and share information across companies, across vendors, 
uh, you know, people who are practitioners mm -hmm. and get and get a lot of that information out there because it is an extremely challenging space to be in right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of pressures to, to perform and, and in the market we're in, it's extremely high right now. Um, and so how do you do that as safely as possible? And a lot for the control rooms, both at refineries and in pipeline systems, you know, those were always, the regulations around those are really all around safety. Right, and right. In some ways, safety regulations can make you, you know, mitigate some of those security concerns, but that's not how they've traditionally been regulated. And I'm not saying yeah. they should be regulated that way because I wouldn't well, say that. Give it a chance. Give it a chance. I, it's coming, I'm sure. But, and you mentioned earlier when we were talking about like the SEC has uh, regulations now for cybersecurity for public companies. Um, but you, you said an interesting point, though, which is it's, it's a tough space to work in. Um, because not only safely, uh, and safely is always the, the, the main thing, but there's yeah. also economically, because the la and especially in this market, I mean, anytime, but especially right now, the last thing that anybody wants to hear is about how we got to take some stuff offline so that we can, you know, install some new stuff to make it better, right? That's, I, I got to imagine that's not flying anywhere, right? Like, you got to keep it going. Um, so what, uh, do you, um, so I want to I want to get to what are what are you guys at API the kinds of things that you're recommending and putting out there I know you've got some standards and some other stuff but the other question that it kind of begs so I'm coming back to the folks who said uh, yeah I don't I don't know if we should have done this um, are you seeing so with all of this digital transformation and all of these benefits um, and this is kind of a loaded question so you can pass if you want but are are you are we seeing, I think I know the answer, but are we seeing the, the benefits from this new, this new innovation, all the things that are flying under the heading of digital transformation as it pertains to these systems? Um, are we seeing the, because we've been at it for a while, so the stuff's, this stuff's been going on for a few years now. Are we seeing the, those, those, whether they're business benefits or safety benefits or, or climate benefits or whatever they are, is it helping? Is it doing good in the world? I think it is, but I think it is varied across companies. It's really a maturity issue. How mature is your program? What have you learned from it? What have you incorporated back into it to make sure that it is robust, to make sure that you have the right audits in place that are vetting your different policies against, you know, a new system or a new software which before you put it in place? You know, is zero trust a hot topic today? It is. Does everyone know how to fully implement it or what that even means? I've even heard some of the vendors don't even necessarily know what that means. And so you've got, again, yeah. something that's still maturing a as a, a practice. And then you, you know, you've got to learn within your company's operations, within your company's risk tolerance, within your company's budget, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know, how do all those things come together? And I think, again, the maturity is kind of um, all over the place right now because, you know, depending on your legacy system, how are you going to implement this new thing? and depending on what investments you've made where, do you want to reverse course or, you know, is that possible? So one of the things that we heard when we published um, standard 1164, which is version mm -hmm. three, which is uh, control systems pipeline cybersecurity, uh, it is an architecture to some extent. And five years to build that program yeah to fully comply with all of the control statements within the standard itself 
And so some of the companies are like, well, I've already gone down this other path. I'm not sure I want to want to take this path of 1164. And you, it's a standard. It's voluntary. You can take parts and pieces. Again, it's where you at you where you're you are at in your journey, and mm. and, and how far you're willing to go from an investment perspective and from a cultural change perspective, because cybersecurity has to start with culture. Yeah. So, you know, that's why I think we're at different places. And, and and I will say one of the, so the top two concerns that we had for this future of cybersecurity in this call this morning, the top was ITOT convergence, mm-hmm. which everybody knows, and the second was um, cyber workforce. Sure. So that's where we're also seeing a big challenge in the industry is, you know, are, are they starting to cross train safety engineers to do cybersecurity practices in an OT environment, um, you know, how, how are you attracting and retaining staff? I mean, that's a problem for that's every huge, industry right, right yeah. now. It's yeah. certainly not specific to us, yeah. but, but the oil and gas industry generally because of perception. Well, we were kind of having that issue already, like, right? Because yeah. just the whole, like the whole crew change thing, right? And all yes. that, I mean, that was already there. Now, of course, it's much, it's, it's much more of a challenge. So yeah, I hadn't thought yeah. about it though in this, Regard um, the ITOT convergence. Uh, I mean that the first problem there was just the culture clash of those because those a lot of people. I think people realize this now because we've talked about it enough, at least on the show. But um, those were not the same people, and they were not the same kind of people, and they didn't. Uh, in fact, the first time I really realized that um, was uh, I was talking with a guy from Air Liquide. Uh, Marty Martin, Casey's out there listening. I know he listens once in a while, and and the first time I talked to Marty, and he's he's a like way back ICS guy, and he kept referring to the business people, and I was and I but I didn't understand the context. Every time he said business people, I'm like, what does he mean? That doesn't sound like business people. He was talking about IT people. <laughs> so to him, right? The, so so they were culturally, and you know when you're in the IT world when they say business people, they mean something completely different. But to him, the the business people were the IT people. And so culturally, like even before we talked about bringing those systems together, just the, the people, are, are we getting, are, are we getting better at that? Are they, are they, are they gelling better than they used to? I, I think, yeah, I think, yes. I think there's still, obviously, you know, each company culture is different and there's still a yeah. long way to go across the industry. Um, you know, one of the comments, uh, again, from this morning was that we really need to do, whether you're IT or OT, come to um, a similar lexicon. Mm. You know, so when, when, when I say business people and you say business people, we're actually talking about the about, same thing. Let's start there. <laughs> yeah, and just, instead of just, start, you know, always talking crosswise at each other because you're saying the same things, but they mean different things to you yeah. because you're on that other side of the wall. Yeah. So how so, do we get better at that, and and how do we, you know, one guy, one of the participants referring is the asset side, and the assets really where the business is, because that's where you make money. Like right. the corporate IT side, that's not really where you make the money. So where are you prioritizing what yes. you're doing? And I think there is some divide there. So if you're a refinery manager and I come in from the IT side, you're probably gonna be like. Yeah. yeah. Not everybody. It's getting better. I've, getting I've, better. Se- I've seen that look before, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't touch my baby. Yeah, um, exactly. But we had, you know, one of my members in my committee, um, that's his job, is to mm. talk across IT and OT. And it's he's oh. with a very large oil and integrated oil and gas company. But that's what his job is. 
within that operator, he, that's his job is to talk uh, to to be to the, make sure that there is a bridge between the IT yeah. and the entity from a cyber risk perspective. He's the babble so fish for yeah. yeah. Again, you know where how mature you are in this process is gonna. You know, you might be still trying to get there. You might still be fighting. You might still have you know it all under one one leader. Yeah, yeah. So the benefits are there to be had. Uh, we're not we're not chasing you know like uh, pipe dreams or I mean the the, the the business benefits and all the things are are achievable. But getting there is is a whole other thing that that we're still working on. Um, so this this eleven sixty four thing. Um, so what is it? So if I'm if I'm out there right now, I'm listening to this. Um, you know, uh, before I waste my time, or excuse me, before I spend my time um, googling this eleven sixty four thing and trying to read it, like what, like what, what does it do for me? So um, what we did, we started in twenty seventeen rewriting version two um, through our because we're an ANSI approved standard setting organization, we have to follow certain audit rules, and one of those is to every five years you re- review your standards and decide whether they need updates. And we, de- we did decide that it needed to be updated. It was really only focused on the SCADA systems themselves within a pipeline operation. Okay. And what we knew was that all the focus on pipeline reliability and you know, pipeline security, we had to expand it to encompass more of the overall cybersecurity program um, of the control systems, because a control system within a pipeline system is more than just a SCADA system. Yeah. And so we brought a group of members and, and stakeholders, because our we do have to have more than members. We have to have vendors and, and regulators as well. And they spent about three years working to update the standard. It was almost a whole rewrite. So again, mm. it's based on this CSF. It's based on some of the commonly um, accepted standards, IEC standards that are out there. And they really built it into, um, based around this CSF, you know, control statements that will help you achieve certain goals. And so again, like I said, it is a maturity process once you start to implement it. Um, but it should provide, and we've mapped it to the TSA Security Directive. Um, we've mapped it to mm, okay. this CSF, so you can see where there's control statements meet the elements of the CSF, so that people can understand it. it is a complex document. Don't get me wrong. Um, yeah, I'm certainly not technical enough to be able to implement something like that. <laughs> um, but but we it, we published it. You know, the Colonial Pipeline incident happened in May. We were, our members worked overtime and we published it in August. We have shown TSA how it could meet the goals of SD2C now, which C is better than B, um, less prescriptive, more performance-based, which we, mm-hmm. we of course, argued for. Right. Um, the first version of, of their security directive for pipelines, what or critical pipelines, was um, quite onerous and prescriptive. Yeah. So we, you know, from a performance perspective, and, and we always argue for performance-based standards, you know, again, that risk tolerance, right. um, that level of investment, that you know structure you've already built, it's, and and for critical operations, especially especially on the OT side, you know, saying you're going to patch every month, that's just not how any of that works. Yeah, <laughs> you have yeah, to get yeah. your vendor to support you putting the patch, and you've got to yeah. do it in a test environment. You've got yeah. to make sure you're not going to have unintended consequences, and so it was things like that. And I will say that. The TSA uh, did come around and did work with us quite closely with our members, and, and not just our members, but impacted companies to understand why those were challenges. Right. And the, right. And the last version did address a lot of that. So we have seen pretty significant improvement, but but every, you know, whether it's 1164, which is, is a performance-based standard, 
Um, I mean, it's right. there are there are some shoulds and shalls. Right. Right. Uh, sure. There, yeah, there has to be. Uh, yeah. What so so eleven so eleven sixty four is specifically for pipeline, right? Yes. Um, uh, so I have a couple questions. Uh, one is, uh, is there something like that? So let's say I'm I'm saying, well, this is exactly what I need, but I'm not in the pipeline business, but I am. I do have ICS environments. I have OT environments. Is it like adaptable to other things, or is there uh, an analog to this, like a different thing that I could that I could go to 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 kind of dial into what I need exactly? So, yes and no. <laughs> so our consultant, who is the, one of the main authors of 1164, um, thinks that it is adaptable outside of pipelines. Sure, You, know, of you wouldn't do all and everything, but you can certainly use a lot of pieces to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we do have some um, automation control standards that are used in the downstream side, and they are looking at potentially updating some of those to bring in IIoT and some other things that might fall within mm -hmm. the, the mm -hmm. scope of that standard. I mean, the scope of the standard may may expand as it did with 1164 when we wrote it. But right. there are, like I said, a lot of those standards are are more safety based. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you how do you operate this? How do you control this? Um, and some of those do, as I said, mitigate some security limits. But we are, as I as I said, also we're always looking at our standards and deciding whether they need to be updated and included. And I think as we move forward um, with some some standards we've identified, we're going to start to, to look at whether additional cybersecurity protections can be put in there or whether the, the safety measures could be described as a way that also provide protections from potential cybersecurity. Yeah. Okay, so what I got from that is that you have you have smart people arguing about this right right now who are, who are hashing it out which is what you want right you want you <laughs> you want that yeah. you want people getting in there and kind of you know tearing it up a little bit and figuring out what can we do um what is uh um but you also uh and you mentioned you know it, it it's big it's complex uh maybe you, maybe you're not going to do all of it maybe you're going to do pieces of it um how do how do I uh, like? Wh what do you recommend to people for? Okay, um, I, I'm kind of busy already. I have enough to do, and my team has enough to do. Well, how do we get? How do we tackle something like that in a sensible way, and and make begin to make some progress? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's something that we have struggled with a little bit, um, mainly because not struggled with with asking the question, but you know, 1164 was published right before they published the first version of SD2. Mm -hmm. So you had a lot of companies saying, well, I can't think about that right now because I have to this do other this. Thing. Right, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that really, you know, put the train off the tracks a little bit because, you know, we want people to use the standard. That's, you know, why we spent three and a half years creating it and the members created it. So it's not like yeah. API, this is what It wasn't in a vacuum, right, yeah. Yeah, and, and so... You know, we think that the standard is good. All of the members thought SD2 was bad, frankly. <laughs> not, not a lot of happiness on that one. And so yeah. now that SD2C has finally been published and it does correct some of those things, I think that's still part of the challenge is that operators are still, I mean, their plans are due next month and then they have a, an additional set of plans due the following month. And so we have struggled a little bit to have the conversation about implementation of 1164. But it's still something that 
that we we want to have that conversation and and there is a pipeline world outside of those top 100 mm -hmm. that are covered um i will say tsa is planning to publish an npr an anprm in the next month or so which is August, so yeah so for and the now, uninitiated that is what is a what did you say a and um R uh advanced notice yeah. of proposed rulemaking ah okay all right yeah, yeah so it's a precursor to a, a proposed rule which is good right. because it's really a solicitation mm -hmm. of, of you know more like an rfi and request for information about what does a good uh rule look like because the security directors are supposed to be temporary they have to be renewed every year mm -hmm. and so they're they want to put in place a rulemaking that addresses the, the concerns in SD2C, but would be applied to all pipelines covered by TSA, not just those top 100. So there's a bit of a trouble focusing, you yeah. know, on what is the best practice, because there's required practices and there's potentially new practices. Right. And, and right. They, TSA does have our crosswalk um, and a copy of, of ST, or of 1164, and they do see the values in. in in how it's built out and, and what it attempts to accomplish. So um, right, we'll continue right. working through that process and continue working with our members who are trying to implement it. But it's it's been a really challenging environment over the last year. Yeah, I and I'm well, I'm sure that there there's no shortage of consultants who would like to uh, jump in and help you. Uh, we're, and I and and I came from the consulting world, so I, I know how they, you know, the, so we love these kinds of things uh, because there's lots of opportunity. Um, you know, I remember the socks days. That was that was quite the heyday. Um, but uh, but probably people do need some help, uh, maybe. And another thing uh, that's happens, and I don't know if you guys recommend like when you're working with your members or different people do you like do you have like an ecosystem or sort of a group of trusted partners that you work with do this kind of stuff a lot of times those things exist um but another phenomenon in the industry lately the last couple of years is uh and we see this in other topics lots of other topics right is um uh companies are much especially uh oil companies operators big service companies they're much more willing to talk to each other and share information and experiences and ideas and things like this than they used to it used to be that was impossible and, and you know you'd have we had lots of we had different bodies and consortiums and and, and people would would get together but they really wouldn't say anything you know that uh, are you seeing that uh, where like people are kind of jumping in to help each other out a little bit more being more open yeah I think so um in you know in our conference agenda we really pushed the members to submit abstracts themselves mm -hmm. or else you just have all vendors yeah and so you yeah. really want to hear you know the members want to yeah. hear from others experiences of you know trying to implement zero trust or you know whatever it may be i mean it's great to hear from a vendor and maybe you know you, our sessions are mixed up so you get you get both but we didn't want it to just be all all vendors um i mean the members are the ones who right, push to right. have more members participate. When we have our committee meetings, our cybersecurity subcommittee, um, there's usually around 30 people. You know, you get some people who are never gonna talk and some people who talk all the time and, and there yeah. is an exchange of ideas and uh, we do have a hot topic session where people just bring up different topics they wanna throw out to the group to say, you know, have you ever done this or, or right. what was your experience trying to, to, to implement this or ch make this change? You know, the whole change to digitization is, 
something that people like to talk about a lot with other people's experiences. So mm -hmm. I think it, it is better than it used to be. Um, does it still need improvement? I mean, you know, information Probably. sharing has never not been a buzzword. <laughs> yeah. And there's always the old uh, grandma's cookie recipe problem, right? Where you, you she would she would always leave out one ingredient, so you could never quite make it the way that she made it. <laughs> but but um, but yeah, and I've I've seen that too. In fact, I was just uh, I was at an event last week here in Houston, uh, and it was the the eighth annual IoT conference. So not quite as as uh, long in the tooth as the seventeenth annual cybersecurity. But I was supposed to speak at that, but I had to bow out. Really? Oh, it's too bad. No, it it was it was quite good actually uh there was one one particular panel that i thought was excellent because i moderated it but uh <laughs> but the but it was it was i you did see a lot of the speakers like you're saying were not just vendors a lot of the speakers were from industry and they were sharing a lot of good insights um and uh and the kinds of things that they're doing the really exciting part and this is what i'm thinking about with your situation is is when somebody gets to the finish line <laughs> and somebody can say uh you know like we did it we got there and this is the benefit that we're getting and what you always want is to be able to take those people and stand them up in front of everybody else and and tell their story but at least even if you don't get that at least you know so if i'm in 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 a company and i'm in the the position of trying to do this stuff just knowing that somebody got there, right? That help that that helps, right? Because then I know that I'm I'm not striving for something that isn't unattainable. So you're you're probably too early yet to have any any finish line crossers. Yeah, and I think part of the way that that uh, 1164 at least is built is a process of continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. So do you ever really get there, or are you constantly? Yeah. You, know, you you maybe implement all the controls, but then you got to go back and make sure that they're all implemented correctly and people are following the protocols and people are following the policies and I think yeah. so I think I think and obviously in the changing threat landscape you're gonna you know constantly need to be looking well maybe I need to tweak this because now I'm, I'm seeing this and not that so I think that, that yeah to your point obviously we all want to see someone reach the finish line so we know it's achievable but I think yeah. even once you get there you're not done yeah, but there's a point where you realize, okay, like we're on the rails now, and we're tracking, right? Yeah. And we're and we're 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 not we're not still at the point of like trying to figure out how to get our arms around this. Like we're in the program and we're doing it. So um, so good. That's it's uh, yeah, it's fascinating to watch how the industry. It, it's funny because this industry has always gotten a lot of uh, oil and gas, in particular, has gotten a lot of. You know, there's a lot of kind of reputation of oh, these old people that don't change and they're stuck in their ways and they don't innovate. That's one of my favorites because um, I could tell you the whole hundred-year story of innovation. But exactly. Um, but like, but but it's interesting. Uh, but stereotypes are sometimes stereotypes, you know, for a reason. And uh, uh, but it's it, the it's interesting to see how people are really adapting to all these challenges and finding new way new ways of working and not doing things the same old way. So it's it must be good for you because you, now you feel like you're not like fighting a a useless battle, right? Yeah, it's it's been uh, you know over the last well maybe more than ten years that I've been doing this, but. Um, you know, we've had, I've had regulators say to me or, or people in the government, if you're not regulated, how do I know you're doing anything? 
My grandfather is turning over in his grave right now. (laughs) We wouldn't be the world's leader in oil and natural gas if we didn't take advantage and prioritize technological innovation. Right. And you you wouldn't be some of the biggest businesses in in the world if you didn't care about cybersecurity because you can't be in business without caring about cybersecurity in today's world. It's just that you you would fail quickly. That's an excellent point. Uh, speaking of excellent points, uh, we're probably at the end of our. Uh, we have to probably wrap up, or else people change the channel because you know there's other <laughs> things. There's other things going on. So, yeah. uh, what is there anything though before we before we wrap up? Uh, anything that you really wanted to say, or that like Brian, that I didn't give you a chance because I kept like steering you to something different? No, I mean I think again we've been taking this seriously in the industry for many years. Um, again, we're having our 17th annual conference. This is not yeah, a kind of by night. We just started it when Colonial was, you know, hit with the ransomware attack. It's something that's really ingrained in, in our members, you know, thoughts about this issue. Um, we are having a lot of, I think, valuable conversations with, with our um, government partners to help them understand what we do better. Mm-hmm. Again, that is part of my job. So yeah. I'm not patting myself on the back. It's definitely a group effort. Um, but that one of the things that we also want people to know, and this is kind of a broader industry point, is you know there's a lot of fascinating technology and innovation in our industry. So with that workforce issue, attracting new and young people who are coming mm-hmm. out of school, and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. what are they looking for? They're looking for innovation. They're look, looking for a lot of creative things they can do. Um, and a lot of that is occurring in our industry. And you know even if you look at the renewable build-out in front of our companies, you know, not just in the larger renewable sector, but, you know, if you look at some of these companies and how they're innovating, how they're developing new products to meet, the, you know, the changing energy resource needs, there's a ton of appeal there, I think, that people just say, oh, oil and yeah. gas, you're dirty. Yeah, that's a good point. That's, <laughs> I, yeah, so, so, in fact, you said that so well. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put your phone number on the, on the, uh, no, <laughs> we're not going to so call Suzanne if you want to know about all the exciting things that are going on. We have a lot of uh, programs to get new employees in the industry. So, so all right, so that maybe that's a good thing to wrap up on. Um, uh, so for uh, so API is uh, an opportunity. Not so you don't just throw out these standards at people and hope that they can get them right. Um, I, you're doing a lot I mean, to advocate for the industry, and it sounds like you've got, uh, you are trying to uh, help with that, uh, like get, bringing people in. So yeah, so, where, so where do people look if they want to uh, learn more about that? Uh, they can go to api.org slash careers, and I think that there's also... Um, just, we have a lot of different programs for veterans. We have uh, different um, programs for um, women, for minorities, for right, you know right. DEI. Um, what about what about what about like the old timers that have already retired twice and still are looking for something to do? Do you have something? <laughs> for those guys, <laughs> like, I, like my wife wants me out of the house. And I need, I need something to do. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I'm sure that there are opportunities out there. Consulting, there's always consulting opportunities. Always All right. I, I can tell by your eyes that you're still looking for something. So are you? Are you? Are we still? You still got something coming there, or do I need to? Do I need to hold them up a little? I bit think longer? you you can also go to um, api.org and search jobs, 
and okay. you'll come up with a whole yeah. list of, of different, um, you know, information and resources. Yeah, 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 good. All right. So API, not just, uh, you know, not just one of those old organizations. Uh, you guys are you're on the cutting edge, it turns out. Who, who would have figured? Um, this is really good, though. <laughs> and, uh, and so what might be fun is because this because, you, you know, this is one of those things that's progressing. Right. And uh, things are changing uh, continuously. So maybe maybe as things progress, you know, in a few months or something, we can if you if we can work, if, if you can work us into your schedule because you're going everywhere and talking to everybody, we can get an update on how things are going. And especially if you get somebody that crosses the finish line, that's not really a finish line. I understand. Then, uh, yeah, we can we can tell some some success stories. But anyway, Suzanne Lemieux, thank you for uh, making time. And uh, I think I think this is it. I think your, your day is over. At this point. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much. All right. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGDN.com.